my approach is, hey folks, this is one of my my favorite things, Korean barbecue, and this is this is how you eat it. You know, you dip a little bit in the samjang and you put it in some lettuce leaves with some scallions. So it's kind of a how-to as opposed to I give this place a rating. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. Today on the show, Matt is having a serious talk about Chicago pizza with a legitimate Chicago pizza expert. His name is Steve Delinsky, and in Chicagoland, he's known simply as the Hungry Hound. What did you guys talk about? Oh, I love Steve. What a great, great podcast this is. What a great episode. And and Steve is also known as the food guy. And he does a great job with these weekly segments on the NBC affiliate there in Chicago. We talk in detail about what makes Chicago such an underrated food city. And man, it really is. We also discuss Chicago pizza and clear up a little bit of misinformation we may have been distributing here on the Taste Podcast in a previous episode. I will cop to it. I was bad-mouthing Chicago-style pizza. I think I called it a bread bowl full of soup, you know, yeah, casserole. You, ca- you called it a couple things, and You called it a couple names. Um, episode aired. Got an email from Steve. And he sent me his book. And, and, you know, it's a wonderful book. It's truly one of my favorite episodes in a long time. Here's Matt catching up with Steve and setting the record straight. Steve Dolinsky, welcome to the Taste Podcast. It is so great to be here. Good to see you, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I want to hear about you're in New York. Uh, we're, we're, we're taping this from uh, the, the building. Uh, you live in Chicago. We'll get to that. We'll get to Chicago's rich history of food. Yes. I mean, it's oh, amazing. So excited. So, Steve, what is it about Chicago that makes it such a great food city? Many of our listeners might have never even been to Chicago. My father was born in Chicago. We can talk about his history a little bit, but... What is why, why Chicago? Well, everybody thinks Chicago is sort of two or three things. They think about pizza, Italian beef, and it's a steak town, and then they kind of forget about it. And, you know, yes, the Beard Awards have been there every year for several years, and that's part of it. But I think Chicago is this – it's a melting pot, but it's also a city that embraces experimentation. Um, it's, a, it's a city where Broadway shows come to try things out. It's a city where chefs like Trotter made their name and yep. Moto got its start there. And, you know, those kinds of restaurants like WD-50 in New York didn't really work. People don't really get the molecular gastronomy thing here as much, I think. And in Chicago, there's, you know, there's Smith and there's Ever and there's Esme and all these restaurants that are, you know, would be three-star Michelin in any other city. Uh, the only three-star we have is Alinea. But there is all this experimentation in Chicago, that, and you can do it for less money there. That's why I think it, it works there, because it's less of an investment. To do those kinds of restaurants with those kinds of kitchens and those staffs, you need to really have millions of dollars to do it in New York City or San Francisco. Chicago, you can do it for about two-thirds the price. And I'll couple that with my observation is you've got better, like, less of a barrier of entry, but you've also got a city with money. There's actually money in Chicago, and there's a demand for restaurants. Like Spiaggia, for example, was booked out for years and years and years. I don't know if Spiaggia would have done well in Chicago or New York, and and that's one example of many, because there's a demand for that kind of business dining. There's a a lot of corporate uh, client work there. And, of course, it's like a major city, and there's like a 
you know, five or six hour radius. It's the biggest city within that. So I, I feel it's a perfect storm yeah. for what you said. Yeah, it pulls people from all over the region. I mean, I'm from Minneapolis originally, yeah. and I absolutely settled in Chicago for the long term. Um, but it brings people from all the universities, you know, those big 10 universities, people from Michigan end up coming there, yeah. Wisconsin. Um, and I just feel like there is, it's a community that loves to eat. When Bonchi was trying to figure out where to <laughs> locate outside of Rome, the first place in America, they picked Chicago because the CEO said, you know, I know Chicagoans love to eat. Yeah. Um, it is cold five months a year. You can't really go outside. And so you're inside, you're eating, you're talking about food. Where are we yeah. going to eat? So that's part of it. Let's talk about Moto. I feel like that is a restaurant that we don't talk about enough and and for a lot of reasons. But what describe that restaurant because I think that was a really important restaurant that maybe gets forgotten a little bit. Yeah, Homaro Kantu was the chef. Exactly. Killed himself. He um, did. It was a very sad story about it, him. It was really – I remember Tom Seatsma from the Washington Post came and we had dinner there when they first started opening. You know, he was bringing in – shipping in like salt water from somewhere and then steaming fish at your table and uh, kind of like what Alinea was doing a little in that respect. I think they were compatico, what's the word? Uh, uh, they were compatriots. They compatriots. were com- comrades. Um, homies. They yeah. were kind of homies. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, really pushing the envelope in terms of um, presentation and molecular gastronomy and using you know, different materials to, to create food in different ways and present it in different ways. Kind of like what you know, sometimes you see um, – what Heston Blumenthal does where it looks like a mandarin but it's really chicken liver mousse inside yeah. of it or something, right? You know, that's sort of fooling the diner a little bit. I think that's what Moto really kind of helped establish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, Trotters was that pioneer in Chicago. Alinea has been there for a long time now. Um, the interesting thing about Chicago I noticed, by the way, recently, tasting menus have gotten to be exorbitant. I mean, I know food costs have gone through the roof, yeah. but there's a lot of restaurants now like Smith and Oriel, um, uh, Esme. They're all about 285 yeah. before wine tax tip. And, and, you know, that puts it in line with, with New York. It puts it in line certainly with France, with Paris. I mean, I would say more expensive than those. And then, of course, the Tokyo, uh, the most expensive dining city in the world, um, it's not far off. And I think it goes back to the, the, the demand. And there's clearly um, – uh, there's a lot of – work that goes into these tasting menus that yeah. maybe certain other restaurants that do tastings is not they're not doing those magic tricks right right well kasama just got a michelin star first filipino oh, yeah. restaurant in the country they raised their price it was 180 now it's 215 for Incredible. the tasting menu i wanted to bring up my my father because he grew up in west rogers park and and the memory he has and this was in the 40s and 50s is, is jewish food mm. and chicago had a really pronounced jewish deli slash jewish food scene that I think has been diminished a bit now um, for a lot of reasons. But, but what, what do you think about the Jewish food, especially on the north side? Yeah, my in-laws were from West Rogers Park no as way. well. Oh, yeah. All yeah right. They all grew up there and they all moved to Skokie and yeah. Buffalo Grove. Sure. Uh, but there was a huge community there. And you're right. The deli culture in Chicago, it's been decimated. Yeah. It's kind of sad, actually. It's one thing – I mean, there's no comparison really with New York. There's just – we don't have we don't have the population there to support it. I mean, there's probably a like quarter of a million Jews in that in that region, um, and there's just not enough demand for like the Ashkenazi deli's gone. Oh my god, um, that's where he went all the time. The oh Ashkenazi yeah, that deli. was the place downtown. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's Manny's on the <laughs> South Loop, which yeah. is sort of deli-ish, deli yeah. style, but it's not you know. It's, there is no Russ and Daughters there. Yeah. It's just, I can't get that there. Um, I think part of it is price. You know, people in the Midwest are pretty price sensitive. 
And when I go to places here, you know, when I go to Russ and Daughters, it's like they, the sturgeon and the sable is priced per quarter pound usually, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, $30 for a quarter pound of something, that's a lot of money. Yeah. In Chicago, it's lox. It's really just a lox yeah. culture. And so there is no demand for sable and sturgeon and the higher the higher end fish. The um, I just feel like the Midwest, they, they cater to a, a little bit of a different demographic yeah. there. Well, I want to know what is something that maybe our listeners and maybe myself uh, don't know. We don't know about Chicago cuisine right now in 2022? We are certainly ethnic, more ethnically diverse than we've ever been, and we're seeing a ton of exciting pop-ups, probably like what you're doing in New York, but mm-hmm. you just don't read about them because they're so small in Chicago. You've really got to be on like an inside track to somebody's Instagram in Chicago to know that, you know, what the guy is doing a, a pop-up at the ghost kitchen at the Humboldt Park uh, kitchen, you know, and he's doing... Um, uh, char siu or he's, you know somebody's doing some really interesting artisan pizzas and you just wouldn't read about them in Chicago Magazine or the Tribune necessarily. So there's a lot of underground dining that's been formed as a result of the pandemic, mm-hmm. which is super exciting about Chicago. And I've been invited to several of these dinners. And I, uh, the Tuesday night at six o'clock, I can't go, but they're doing the, like Mike Sula from The Reader has- Great cur- journalist. Great like journalist. Like, yep. like, like He's curated this thing called Monday Night Food Ball oh, cool. at this bar on the north side. Which one? The Kedzie Inn. Kedzie Inn, cool. And every Monday, some really cool, small artisan producer is there doing like three or four dishes. And that's just something that didn't happen pre-pandemic. That's exciting. I I definitely want to reach out to Mike to have him on the show. I've I've been a long fan of his writing. Uh, Of course, there's pizza, right? Pizza is a a dish, is a foodstuff, is, is a commodity, is a lifestyle that Chicago is well known for. Which brings me to my grand faux pas from a previous taste episode. And then there's, of course, the Chicago deep dish, which everyone knows. You can buy them in most malls at Uno's or Douay's or whatever it's called with cheese on the bottom, sauce on the top, very like lard heavy crust. It's like soup, basically. It's like soup in a bread bowl is what I would call that. I would call it. That's really good. Soup in a bread bowl. I mean, it's an effing casserole, if you ask me. You corrected me on this. We had an exchange over uh, over Instagram or, or Twitter or email. So, but like, let's get into it, Steve, because I wanted to invite you on the show. And of course, we just talked about Chicago's great food history. But I want to know first off, why is Chicago pizza not simply? A casserole. Yeah, great question. And thank you so much for having me on to sort of set the record straight, Matt. Yeah. Um, here's the problem with Chicago pizza, or at least the way it's described. Usually East Coast writers will do it based on hearsay or they'll parachute in for two days or, you know, it kills me when somebody writes about or makes a comment about Chicago pizza and hasn't actually been on the ground. And so when I did the first book, I actually came to New York um, and hit 50 places over the course of four months to understand the lay of the land here. And so why is Chicago pizza not a casserole? Well, there is a casserole. It's a specific style called stuffed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people confuse stuffed with deep. Stuffed is a subcategory of deep dish. Stuffed was created in 1971 by Nancy's. It has a second layer of thinner dough across the top of the pie. Um, So it's, it's bottom crust, cheese, shredded cheese, and then your sausage or your pepperoni, and then a thin layer of dough across the top of that, and then sauce on top. That is what looks like the above-ground outdoor pool. That's the boat anchor. That's the Game of Thrones castle wall. That's what Jon Stewart liked to mock, right? That's the stuffed pizza. Now, that's about 5% of the pizzas in Chicago. That, okay, let's pause there. 5%. Yeah. Okay, so like 
when a very smart food writer, not saying myself, but others, says Chicago is a deep dish town, you're talking about f- or a stuffed town or deep dish. A casserole. Casserole. Because deep dish is not a casserole. Deep uh, dish should not be a casserole. Here we are. We're still, we're, we're getting there. Yep. Okay. Stuffed is the casserole. It, yeah. So saying Chicago pizza is like a casserole is go. like saying New York pizza is an oil spill on a sheet of cardboard. Nice. Because the 99 cent slices, you know, they they do exist here. They're a small percentage. Okay. It's the same thing like saying if, you know, Chicago's deep to Chicago. That's like saying when I go to New York, I only eat pizza in Midtown or I go to Times Square for pizza. <laughs> right? You would never say that. You would never make a pronouncement of New York. You'd go, you got to go to Brooklyn. You got to go to Bushwick. You got to go to Queens. You yeah. got to go, you know, yeah. Harlem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's the same thing with Chicago. So the stuffed is a small percentage of what mm-hmm. we have, mostly tourists. I can name all the places on one hand, pretty much. It's, yeah. you know, it's Giordano's, Art of Pizza, uh, Angelo's, um, and Superosa. Those are the stuffed pizza places. Yeah. And then there's Deep Dish. And that could range from Lumal Nadi's and Mai Pai, which mm-hmm. is quite thin in the middle. As you know, you've mm-hmm. had, I'm sure you've had Lumal Nadi's. Yeah. The dough is pressed up along Unfortunately. the- Well, it's pressed up along the side of the wall. And then you've got maybe a five-eighths of an inch in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't specify crumbled, by the way, when you get the sausage, you are going to get the sausage patty, which is a problem there. That is a huge problem. I think crumbled is always the way to go. All right. Okay. But deep dish, I got to just make sure this is clear with your listeners. Deep dish is not stuffed. Stuffed is that high, three inch high side uh, all the way through the middle. And deep dish should not be that deep. It should be no deeper, no thicker than a Sicilian Sicilian. you get at at Prince Street Pizza. Exactly. I think of a Sicilian as like the epitome of a, of a, of a, like the, Thicker slice, but not like the uber thicker slice. So I think Sicilian is a good one. Okay, so that sets the record straight there. But of course, as you're, you're mentioning in your book, and there's a really cool flowchart in your book. I, I respect that flowchart. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on that. I love that. No, no, you did, and I uh, respect it. And and the book, The Ultimate Chicago Pizza Guide, pick it up. We're going to link to it in the show notes. It is a great book for all pizza fans. I love the book. Excellent work. Thank you. Um, there's something called the Chicago Tavern Pie. Mm-hmm. On the East Coast, we call it the Bar Pie. That, there's a real fundamental movement there and a history there in Chicago with this style of pizza. My uncle, also raised in Rogers Park, believes this is the epitome of Chicago pizza. Yep. But of course, as we just said, many people believe it's a deep dish or casserole town. Explain what a Chicago tavern pizza is. So all. tavern is one of the – so there are three – when you say Chicago-style pizza, you're talking stuffed, deep, and tavern Great. style. But tavern – rules them all by a long shot. The first book I did came out four years ago. Majority of the pizza places in the book were tavern style. Writer from Bon Appetit reached out to me, also a native Chicago, and did a story about, you know, Chicago's true style. What is it? It's it's tavern style. Thin and crispy, cut into squares, sauce and cheese, edge to edge, yeah. born in the 30s, probably late 20s, early 30s mm-hmm. at places like Home Run Inn, which was a tavern near Comiskey Park. Mm-hmm. In 1947, it became an official pizzeria, though. Same thing with Vito and Nick's was a tavern. Same thing with Pat's was a tavern. Yeah. They started out because you'd go to the bar on your way home, uh, have a beer or two, and typically the you know, smart guys would give you salty popcorn to eat to kind of keep you munching on yeah. something to drink beers. Order more beers. Yeah. And then go home and have dinner with your family. Well, eventually they started doing these thin pizzas. They cut them into small squares, pass them around the bar for free. You'd have a couple of squares, mm-hmm. a couple of beers, go home and have dinner with your family. Eventually, like at Home Run Inn, people started asking p- specifically for the pizza. So they started making this pizza pizza to order and you'd have it again cut into squares a lot of people i know have a hard time with round pizzas cut into squares but it makes a lot of sense you know and kids can't eat a giant slice kids like a little square and so kids in chicagoland grow up with these squares the party cut we call it greg backstrom a well-known chef here in brooklyn right at olmstead grew up in the south suburbs yeah. on square cut aurelio 
Oreos. So this is what every kid in the city and suburbs typically grows up with. Deep dish, you got to remember, there are only two deep dish places in the 40s and 50s. There was one more in the 60s, mm-hmm. Geno's East. And then in the 70s, the floodgates kind of opened. But again, mostly downtown and mostly in the northern suburbs where Lou Malnati's was. Yeah. If you're from the South Side, you did not grow up with deep dish. And that's a really cool distinction there. I think uh, I have some South Siders in my family or f- friends of mine, and they certainly do go with the tavern style. So now you've connected those dots. Uh, but what is it about the party cut that works, the squares? Uh, you don't have to commit to a big slice. Love you can that. have just a couple of small squares. You can crush a pie if you're pretty hungry, <laughs> but you can. It's, it's nice and easy to do a half and half. You could do half sausage, half jardinera or jardinera across yeah. the top. By the way, jardinera on a pizza is fantastic. Explain uh, what that is so we don't. Sure, sorry. The relish you put on an Italian beef sandwich, yeah. chilies, cauliflower, celery, carrots in a spicy oil, typically on a beef sandwich. But because beef joints and pizza joints often share the same kitchen, you could get a jardinera on your pizza. Yeah. Some places will serve it as a sidecar along with it, or they'll just bake it right onto the pie like at Pat's. It just gives you this briny, crunchy heat. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love the adding jardinera to a pizza. I think any kind of way to bring a, a little bit of heat or acid into a pizza slice is, is going to make me happy. I got to ask you this because we're talking about toppings. You know, my other, my mom is from Detroit. Oh, wow. I know. So cool. I got my dad from the north side and my my my, my mom from the west side of, of Detroit. And so I eat a lot of Detroit-style pizza, uh, and we talk about a lot on the show. It's probably going to be boring for our listeners. But let's talk about ranch dressing. Oh, do we have is there, to? <laughs> is it, so you're wincing. Is there a ranch dressing touching pizza in Chicago? No. <laughs> no, there really isn't. I mean, I, I've seen people ask for it. Uh, there's a place in the book that I've got called uh, Nude Dude Food. <laughs> and they were doing – they're actually – they were a pop-up. Now they got a regular space in Lakeview. Um, and you can get ranch on this side. And I, I just don't understand dipping the crust into more dairy. You've already got all the cheese on the top of it and the Romano and the Mott's. <sighs> Um, unless the crust has no flavor and you need to bump it up somehow. I've seen people brush the heel with, you know, olive oil and oregano and garlic, yeah. but I guess that's what it's for. I just don't see a lot of ranch at all. It, I agree. I've never really seen it in Chicago. I think ranch is just, it's something that it adds that cooling factor and a little, any more fat into a, a boring crust is going to be good, I guess. Well, then I think there's a problem with your pizza maker if the True. crust isn't good. I mean, the crust should be good. That's what makes a good pizza, I think. <laughs> Absolutely, and and uh, you know, bread makers are are pizzolas, pizzaiolas. You know, they're they're definitely the guys making the pies these days, the bread guys. So yep. I think you're you're making a good point there. And I want to hear about um, what went into the research of your book because I think until you actually buy the book, you're not going to see what the work is because there's a it's part of this like zoom out and kind of the section of the pizza and the taxonomy of pizza in Chicago, but it's also a lot of reviews. Yeah. You're visiting restaurants. So what's it, what was that all about? So so the first one that came out four years ago was really my view of Chicagoland from 35,000 feet. Like what is the lay of the land? Who makes the best pizzas? There were no sacred cows. Nobody (laughs) got a free pass. It's like, I want to just get a picture in time, three to six months of, of eating in Chicago. What is it like? And I found, again, there were all these different styles. There's Sicilian and Roman and Tavern and Artisan and Neapolitan and mm-hmm. you know, Detroit, um, plus the Chicago Three, right? The stuff deep and Tavern. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a, a majority of Tavern. And then when the pandemic hit, I reached out to the publisher again. I said, hey, there is this third wave happening in Chicago. Wave one was post-war mm-hmm. with the Tavern style. Wave two was in the early 70s with Deep Dish. Wave three was really the, the 20 teens, 
and then the pandemic really jump-started it, which was all these chefs getting furloughed, laid off, mm-hmm. switching careers, going into pizza. Millie's Pizza in the Pan is a great example. Mm-hmm. This guy worked at Seasons 52 in Schaumburg, which mm-hmm. is a nothing chain restaurant, mm-hmm. got furloughed, always loved Burt's Pizza up on the, in Morton Grove in the Everyone suburbs. Everyone loves Burt's, man. Burt's, shout out. Well, the one place that Bourdain, I guess, liked yeah. when he talked about was, was Burt's. Yeah. And um, wanted to emulate that style and now has an amazing place. Just opened up a brick and mortar in in our, on Argyle Street in Uptown where all the Vietnamese restaurants are. You can get pho and deep pizza, which is amazing. Um, so it's it's a review. Uh, it's breaking down into all the different styles of pizza, but then also a little capsule review, but then also a story. I mean, you asked, like, what went into this? It was a lot of reporting, talking to the guy who started Nancy's Pizza with Rocco Palese. What was the, how did Giordano's steal their idea? What, what, what really happened there? There's a lot of the sort of the backstories, and I'm sure there was in New York, you know, this cousin or relative mm-hmm. left and then married somebody and then they want to do their own thing, but they took the name of the original place with them mm-hmm. as street cred and then they weren't supposed to. And so like in, with the Giordano's thing, you know, Giordano's claims to have created stuffed pizza in 74. Well, what I found out was, and I tracked down and a producer that worked with me at ABC7 mm-hmm. who retired to South Carolina, she was in the early 70s the food critic for the Suburban Sun-Times. Oh, right. And remembers the whole story. Super tapped in, I'm sure, yeah. And tells, you know, Rocco Palese didn't really know business very well. <laughs> He'd started this stuffed pie as a response to deep dish because he didn't want to do deep dish. <laughs> was thinking about Pizza Rustica's, actually, I think Times just had a story the other day about the Pizza Rustica for Easter, Easter yeah. pies. So that was his inspiration. Started doing these in 71, changed the name of Gus's to Nancy's. And then all of a sudden, two of his employees from Argentina said they're going to go back to Argentina. Thank you very much. They actually went to the south side to Marquette Park. (laughs) Their version of Argentina. Exactly. And opened up Giordano's in 74 doing the same exact style. So this is the the kind of stuff that I was excited to learn about as I reported on on this book. Is there bad blood between families in Chicago over pizza? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Barnaby's is a good example on the North Shore. There are three Barnaby's with three websites. <laughs> um, three family members using the name. That's amazing. And in the, there's a, something in the, the bylaws or in the deed. If you sell to someone outside of the family, you can no longer call it Barnaby's. So it's got to stay in the family. Um, it was a licensing thing. They wanted to just license it or, or make sure they use the same ingredients. And then one family member said, I don't need to do that. I can do it on my own. And then that's where trouble started. Then there's the Vito and Nick's versus Baracos because uh, one of the Baracos was sponsored by Vito and Nick's family to come over from Italy, yeah. left with his wife to open up Baracos. Now there's this whole thing on Vito and Nick's website that says that we are no relation to the Baracos, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, they've got a frozen line that they've argued about. I mean, this happens over and over. There's some bloody noses in there too, just, just to be tame, I'm sure. <laughs> For sure. I mean, wow. it's Chicago, you know, it's South Side. It's South uh, Side. It gets a little tricky. Um, so, I, I, you know, television producers listening to this, A&R or development folks, like, let's do some TV. Like, this oh, is got, I've already this, written a treatment. I've got it. Of course you have, Steve. I've written, it's like The Sopranos and Sex in the City, but it's pizza. Like, seriously, why is this not on TV? I mean, the, it, it will be on TV. Let's just, like, will it into, into TV. I, I've, I reached out, I pitched it to a guy in L.A., actually. I, I met yeah. through a friend of mine who's uh, who has written a show, and uh, he said it's just, it's a great idea, but he didn't want to invest the time in it. Okay, okay well, you know what, there. pass on that guy, move on to the next. Let's <laughs> get right. this TV show. There's yeah. drama there. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure in, in New York there's equal drama, but this sounds great. Plus all the food porn. Think of all the different <laughs> pizza shots you could have of like the artisan, <laughs> the neo-Neapolitan coming out of the wood-fired, and then the baked one in the deep pan, and I, then the sort of the tavern style. It'd be great. I love it. I, yeah. I know it's going to be. And this is TV, but I want to let's actually segue to TV because you know many folks know you as a on your TV critic. You you've been known as the hungry hound. 
but you're also the food guy now, right? Yeah. On on uh, an NBC. NBC, yeah. So I love this. Uh, I think there's a whole industry of of local food personalities like yourself who are obviously so knowledgeable, as knowledgeable as any restaurant critic. But you're doing it for television, which is a very different medium. Yeah. How did you get into this? So, and, and just I'm, I'm not to split hairs, but I'm technically a food reporter, and I think food critic implies that I'm going to places anonymous multiple times and then giving a rating based on you know X, Y, and Z factor. And I'm really just looking for food stories that I can tell on television. Of course, right? I'm sorry, I should no, have been okay. specific. That's okay, but I, I mean, that's kind of what I'm. That's that was always my pitch to the the networks because I worked at uh, the Tribune company for ten years. Yeah. They did a show called Good Eating. Yeah from 95 to 03, and that's where we started winning some Beard Awards and Mm -hmm. and getting some recognition. And then when they canceled that show in 03, I shot myself around Chicago as a food reporter. ABC had just been – they just lost a soap opera. They were going to be expanding their (laughs) 11 a.m. newscast, needed some content. They said, yeah, what if you come on and do a segment twice a week? You know, they they called it the Hungry Hound. And you didn't come up with that name. No, I did not. Okay, I, we, well, I like that. It's name. funny. We had a meeting at eleven a. The eleven a. meeting met right after the first day I was there, and they said, "What are we going to call this segment?" And I said, "I don't know, Chow Hound." And they're like, "No, oh, Chow Hound is already taken." Some producer goes, "How about Hungry Hound?" Yeah, that's it. Okay, next thing on the agenda. That was it. Like it was, <laughs> it was decided in like three seconds. Um, and since it was created, the IP was created there. I could not take that name with me, yeah. which is fine. But I was there for seventeen years. Yeah, you were. I mean, uh, I, I, I took a selfie with you. I, I don't think I've ever done that with any of our guests. Oh, that's because hilarious. <laughs> I've got friends in my life and family who are fans of yours. For real, you're great. Oh, you're amazing, great. man. You're Thank great. Thank you. Thank you. So I was there for 17 years and then pandemic and then – but the cool thing about the pandemic and this is what gives us all this sort of second opportunity. I never thought I'd have another opportunity. I thought that was my last local TV job. <laughs> that's why I got my broker's license. Yeah. I'm going to go into real estate. And then um, – NBC called me in the summer and they were like, you know, we're really interested in starting. We have a new general manager here. Would you be interested in doing this maybe one day a week? I said, absolutely. And the only reason I got that call was because during the pandemic, I had to shift into one man band mode, which is what we all do when we start Mm -hmm. off in the business. I was in Upper Michigan. I was a one man band up there Mm -hmm. for a year Mm -hmm. and I know how to shoot and edit. So during the pandemic, I upgraded my equipment. I bought a really nice DSLR camera, spent the money on mics and lights. And so now I do everything myself. I shoot and edit and report the stories, but it gives me the freedom to do what I want to do, where I want to do it, when I, you know, how I want to make it look. Pieces are about two minutes on tape. And I set them up live in the studio. You do, and, and they're great. I, the stand-ups are really fun. And you I, do a nice job. And, and then I finish on the set with the anchors now, and it's great. Like I was in, I spent February in Florida because I banked a bunch of stories before I left Chicago, and then I edited them down there and just you know sent them back every yeah. week. And they were happy to have a package run on Thursday night, ten o'clock news. So it's great. Yeah, I, and I like what types of restaurants are you looking for? I, I mean, I. I, I you did a bakery recently. You did a Mexican-American restaurant. You do, What mm-hmm. do you look for? Anything that just that just gets excited. I get excited about anything that looks interesting. A pambaso I did last with yeah, Mexican I saw sandwich. That. But then there was a guy doing kind of a he calls it a pamburguesa. So it was a pambaso bread, but with a double cheeseburger inside. Mm-hmm. As you said, I did a story on Hewn Bakery in Evanston. Hewn because looked awesome. Looked amazing. Do a laminated baguette yeah. that was inspired by the Arcade Bakery here in New York. Yep. because they'd had it here. Um, I'm working on a story of, well, May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Great. So every Thursday in May, I'll do an Asian story because yeah. I just, I love Asian food. Yeah. I've seen your Instagram. I know it's a lot of Korean food. Yeah. I'm going to do Korean barbecue for sure one week. Um, and it'll be kind of like my approach is, 
hey, folks, this is one of my, th- my favorite things, Korean barbecue. These are some of the names you need to know, banchan, karbi. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is how you eat it. You know, you, you dip a little bit in the samjang yeah. and you put it in some lettuce leaves with some scallions. So it's kind of a how-to mm-hmm. as opposed to I give this place a rating, right? It's like more that. of a I get excited about this place. You know, go check out 92 Town in Schaumburg. Go check out Chicago Carby on Lawrence. I feel in uh, in Chicago for our first book, Koreatown, Dookie Hung and I, we we went to Chicago. We did a dinner at, with Mott Street and got to know those guys uh, in Ruxpin where their restaurants. But I want to – like Korean restaurants in Chicago have all moved to the suburbs it sounds yep. like. Yep. There's a, definitely a second Koreatown in Glenview and Northbrook exactly. along Milwaukee Avenue. Yeah. It's sort of like – you know, it happens all over the country. Like, uh, like in Toronto – you know, there is an old Chinatown, but then there's like Richmond, which is where all the new Chinese come. Yep. And so then there's Scarborough, which is yep. all this exciting ethnic eating. Same thing in Chicago. A lot of the Indian population has moved to Schaumburg. A lot of the Koreans have moved to Glenview. Yep. You know, it's free schools, great schools yep. which for their kids. Yeah. Um, but the food scene is really exciting. And so I find myself spending just as much time looking for stuff now in the suburbs as I do in the city. Yeah, I'm going to have to make it up there. I, I like the, that, that story. And like you really are keeping uh, tabs on what's happening in Chicago, how do you just do a lot of eating to drive around like Jonathan Gold style? Like how do you totally. research? Yeah, gold is my is the gold standard, right? Yes. He, you, know, you look around, my wife gives me a hard time. I'm always rubbernecking, looking, <laughs> oh, that awning <laughs> looks interesting. Oh, they spent some money on that facade. Okay, that must be, you know, what what, what Balkan food are they doing? <laughs> I, I went to Jebek Jalu in the suburbs last week for, you know, uh, Kyrgy food, which was yeah. really interesting. So I'm constantly rubbernecking. I'm looking at, you know, who's posting stuff. Yep. I follow a handful of writers because I want to see where they're mm-hmm. eating. Um, we're all kind of in the same, we play in the same sandbox. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, whatever looks interesting to me. What, And then I realize, okay, so I've been to the Western suburbs recently, so I probably, I should go to the South or the North suburbs. Or, you know, when was the last time I was in the city? You know, I haven't done anything in Andersonville in a while. I should mm-hmm. find something in that neighborhood. So I try to balance sort of high end, low end, city suburbs, I love it. I, I'm going to link to some of the uh, episodes that you've that you've done. I have to ask you end all of your uh, your segments in the studio, and you have to do have that awkward banner with the host. Yeah. How well, do you make that work? <laughs> I always want to ask someone like because it's like it's always so awkward, but you somehow make it less awkward. Well, there's not much time. First of all, it's very <laughs> tight on time, especially my package is two minutes, two minutes, five seconds, right. and so my intro is 20 seconds, their intro is 15 seconds. So there's not a lot of time, but they'll typically say, "What question should we ask you?" give us a good question to toss to you. And so it'll be like, yeah, ask me about this. And I'll just, I'll have a sentence or two ready to go. But it's got to be quick. It's like, mmm, Steve, that looks really delicious. I think that's probably one of them. I mean, every news anchor in the history of the world is sort of like, they're at a loss for words with food. They're just like, oh, it looks so good, right? But they want to ask something relatively smart. Roker, by the way, shout out to Al Roker, never gets tongue-tied because Al Roker is legit food journalist. Yeah. Like, he knows what he's talking about. So, By the way, speaking of big journalists, you know, Lester Holt yeah. from NBC. So his son, Stefan, is our main anchor at 10 on oh, NBC5. Oh, cool. So Stefan Holt and Allison Rosati. Respect. Yeah. I want to know um, about New York-style pizza. We talked so much about Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, I, you're, you're not able to eat all the pies here, but what, what do you, what's on your radar in New York? I know you're keeping tabs. So I've been to a lot of the places that I needed to get to in the research for the book because I reached out to a handful of experts here. Yeah. 
I said, give me your must visit list. Like, where do I need to go to be, you know, have to have the street cred in New York? And so they sent me back a list with 55 places. I checked them all off over the course of four months. I would do like three days at a time, 14 places. Um, you know Phil Baltz. So I, yeah. uh, so I stayed with him and his wife, uh, Chris, one time. Nice. And we tackled four places on Staten Island. And then we did, you know, part of Midwood and we did Brooklyn. And so mm-hmm. I would, I, I've methodically moved through the city that way. But I would say places I'm looking at now, I've been to Philomena's in Queens, which mm-hmm. I just adore. Uh, after this interview, I'm going to go to Maiden, New York, which oh. I've not been to yet. Okay. So I've heard about that place I want to check out. Um, yeah, you know, I look at Scott Wiener's feed. I mean, that's, he's kind of my Scott's North Pizza Star. Tours, check it out. Really good feed. What about on Carroll Gardens, like F&F? Have you been up there yet? Or the no. new Lucali Slice Joint? I've been to the Slice Joint. Last yeah. visit I went there, unimpressed. Yeah, uh, I will say uh, I'm a less negative, but I am, uh, I'm, I need to do, have another pie there. I need to have another slice there. Good but, what, but F&F is great. You should check them out. I've heard great things. Here's my, my I don't say beef with New York, and I'm not going to throw shade. Please do. But, but one Please of my, do. <laughs> one of my issues with New York City is it's really just five styles of pizza. There is, with very few exceptions, there's like two Roman Altaglio. There's two or three Detroit. There's one Chicago place, Emmett's. There's, yeah. there's just, it's all, it's slices and squares, artisan, grandma's, mm. Artisan I mean, is neo, right? That's well, yeah, artisan neo Neapolitan, exactly. Yeah, okay. long long ferment, high hydration, yeah. um, and then there's traditional Neapolitan, of course, like you know Keste or something. But there's not a, there's like five styles here. It's just you can't get a lot of bar pie. You can't get any deep. You, you gotta get... go to New Jersey for bar pie, man. That's okay. where all the bar pie is. It's okay. out in the suburbs and and actually further out in Jersey. Yeah, but again, I'm in New York City. I'm not going to go to Jersey I, unless I'm going to go to Ratza and see Dan. Ratza's but like, I good. just there's it's a limited number of styles. So I know when I go to Made in New York today, I guess what I'm going to probably have a slice and a square, right? It's always the same two things here. I respect the take. I think it's actually really smart, and I agree with you. I think that we definitely have uh, pretty much mastered pizza here. So we only yeah. need to do one style, and it's kind of the best in the world. <laughs> right. So the slices. I mean, believe me, industry I could have every day. <laughs> I know. Filomena's I could have every day. Yeah. I mean, Sophia Pizza Shop. I I love these places. Scars. There's just yeah. in that in that silo, absolutely. Th- there's nothing better than those places in that style. Uh, is there another food that you're going to do that go deep in like this? Is there another food stuff, another concept or topic? I, I wish it could be Japanese. I mean, I respect what you guys did with Korea. I yeah. would love to do something with Japanese, but you know, I think feel like the, the Roads and Kingdoms guys have kind of done that, like the rice noodle fish stuff. I mean, that's great the book, stuff. amazing. Book. I love that topic, yeah. and I kind of want to do something like that where I could go to the source really understand, like I've been to Osaka once for two days and mm-hmm. I had okonomiyaki and takoyaki. I'd like to do that in like a big way and spend weeks there yeah. and then come to America and say, these are the places in America where you can find these experiences. That's, I think, you know, American audiences, yeah, they want to read about something abroad, but hey, where can I experience this here? Which is kind of my job at, at NBC is like, where can you experience this kind of food in Chicagoland? And so I'd kind of like to show people where can you experience real okonomiyaki, takoyaki, yakitori, mm-hmm. t- tempura, in America. Japanese cuisine is incredible. I, I agree fully. I have to ask you, though, I interviewed Jose Rolat, the author of Tacos, and we were talking about tacos in America, and he made a really strong case how how Mexican cuisine in Chicago is one of the top uh, cities in the country. Yeah. I mean, do you find yourself reporting on Mexican-American and diaspora in Chicago? I have done two stories for Telemundo, which cool. shares a newsroom with us at NBC, in Spanish. Okay. Um, so I don't speak fluently, but I pronounce exceptionally well Good. For, for a gringo because I took a couple of years in, in high school and college. Yeah. And so with um, with their permission, I translated one of my stories on Bidia into Spanish uh-huh. for them. I did something else on um, 
was it tacos for them? Yeah. And I just feel like there's a huge population. They've got a million people speaking Spanish. We've got newspapers. We've got two TV stations. Yeah, um, yeah it's a huge part of the population. I mean, Little Village, Pilsen, uh, Back of the Yards, neighborhoods all on the sort of the south and southwest yeah. sides, all from Mexico. They've got a Fiesta del Sol that comes up where they do they do a Fiesta, Fiesta de Mole mm. in Chicago. And so, yeah, there is a big culture there. I mean, sort of Rick Bayless sort of puts Chicago on the map in the foodie culture, mm -hmm. you know, along with like the magazine people and people think about Rick Bayless, but there is like uh, La Chaparita to go get Mexican style, mm -hmm. DF style tacos, yeah. you know, with the tripe and the uh, the eyes and the ears. Which is what you're not finding in New York, to be honest. Really? Our taco culture. Yeah, well, I don't want to make an indictment on you because if you go to Sunset Park, you're going to find incredible barria and other types of regional specialties. And of course, I mean, Corona, you'll find plenty of it. But no, I think Chicago, likely has as it robust, if, if not more, of a, a Mexican food culture. That's just from my one point of view, hmm. my, one, my one voice. You but. do find people who come from a certain area, if they come from like uh, Oaxaca, they bring their traditional things with them, or yeah. they come from, you know, where, uh, Jalisco, and they have birria, and, and mm -hmm. uh, the, birria, the quesabiria now with the cheese yeah. added to the tacos. You find a real intensity in terms of the authenticity, like at Birria Zaragoza, southwest side near Midway Airport, mm -hmm. Very few tourists go down there. But again, I took like Tom Seatsma from the Washington Post mm -hmm. is in town. I took mm -hmm. him to Biria at Zaragoza. Mm -hmm. You know, they're making the tortillas from scratch by hand all day long. They're fresh. There's nothing sitting in a steam box. They're roasting the, the baby goat. They're, you know, rubbing yeah. it with mole. They're steaming it. Um, you're getting all the, the accoutrements that go along with it. I mean, you could just as well be in Jalisco. Absolutely. It's it's something that I think our listeners will appreciate if they go to Chicago and seek out some of your resources just to eat some Mexican. Eat some yeah. Mexican food in Chicago. They don't just go to for pizza, please. Yeah. I, and that, you know, the problem with Chicago is that you, people spend all their time in River North or downtown near the Gold Coast. They yeah. go to the lake. Lakefront is beautiful. They go to Millennium Park. You're missing 75 other neighborhoods. I know. It's a city of 77 neighborhoods. Go explore. Get on the blue line. I had some people from London visiting. I said, mm -hmm. get on the blue line. Go to Logan Square. Yep. You know, you can walk around and hit a couple of cool places while you're in a neighborhood because that's what you. That's how you see Chicago. Absolutely. We asked all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a book without budget or deadline, what would that book be? Well, I alluded to it previously with Japan. I've always loved Japan. I've been there a handful of times, but every time I go, it's never long enough. It's just a couple of days. I spent a few days in Osaka, which I think is the, the one city in that country that really gives a shit about food. Like mm -hmm. they've got a saying there, cuidore, like eat till you drop. And that's where takoyaki and okonomiyaki yep. come from. And there's a real street food culture there. I would want to spend, I think, time on the ground there for a couple of weeks yeah. um, and really sort of immerse myself in that culture. And then, like I say, come back to America and then hit a dozen cities, um, places you would you know, maybe San Diego or Philadelphia, yeah. places where they have interesting mm -hmm. Japanese food from Osaka and document it here. I don't know how long that would take. I don't know how much it would cost, but that's the book I would do. That's exciting. I think Osaka is a beautiful city and, and kind of covered less than a lot of places in Japan. So I, I like yeah. that idea. Tokyo and Kyoto, you know, and then the yeah. up north, they get all the love. They do. And Osaka's great. Well, well, Steve, thanks a lot for joining the Taste Podcast. Oh, this was such a pleasure. Thank you for letting me set the record straight on pizza. <laughs> Appreciate it. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Heasel. The show is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Our theme music is by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>